If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to that wonderful podcast that you hopefully listen to every week. It's the Game Dev Unchained podcast. I'm one half of the hosting team. My name is Larry Charles. I already forgot the second tagline, which is the podcast where it's about the lifestyle of game developers. Oh, man, I'm fumbling big time. But here to help me catch this lateral pass, Mr. Brennan Fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode. If you haven't seen the title, this is a deep dive episode specifically yeah. heroes of the storm and before we kind of go too deep in what this is let's kind of introduce our man of the hour mr richard Koo. hello everyone nice to yeah. nice to hear uh talk to everybody and i'm um, really excited to be here and thanks for having me oh glad to have you man glad to have you man so this is the part of the segment a really quick run through of your resume kind of give some validity to the listeners out there who you are where you came from uh just a little run through of your resume. Okay, sure. Uh, I started my, I guess I started my game dev uh, career like um, after, I, like I, I joined a QA testing like uh, right out of college. I was like uh, testing like ESPN video games up at San, uh, San Rafael. So it just goes to show if you want to like, you know, get a really awesome game design job, like QA is the way to go. Uh, on the side, I was actually modding Warcraft 3. And that kind of got the attention of some folks at Blizzard. Um, shout out to like uh, Alex Sang, who actually referred me for the job and uh, actually was able to land it. Um, at Blizzard, I was working uh, on StarCraft II uh, as a level designer, um, moved on to uh, Heroes of the Storm uh, like as uh, one of the design leads. Uh, and then I also helped out with a bunch of other games there. Um, so that went for about 10 years, and then I went to go to Riot Games and worked on League of Legends for a year and a half. Uh, then I took my hand and trying to do some startups. Uh, was also consulting for Wargaming at the side. Uh, worked on a lot of really cool projects, made a lot of prototypes. And right now, I am actually in the Bay Area working for Pocket Gems, uh, working on a couple really awesome titles that I can't wait for folks to uh, get a chance to play uh, when they come out real soon. Oh, nice, man. Thanks for that run through, Richard. So you can see, listeners, we actually brought some authority on what yeah. we're about to deep dive. So deep dive again oh, <laughs> is a segment that we uh, break down uh, a game. So this week we're talking about Heroes of the Storm. And uh, as always, and by design, I have not played the game. I'm coming from a complete <laughs> novice. Right? Oh, because my God. There are listeners that they haven't been, they've heard of it, they haven't played it, right? So I am playing my part, being yeah. that perspective. And Larry, of course, why don't you go uh, into your... Sure, I guess I count as a resident expert then, because I, I definitely play the game a lot. I uh, usually play it every day. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Oh, man, it's a big time, big time. It's uh, my favorite game right now. And oh, uh, yeah, so I end up being the expert, <laughs> non, non-Blizzard expert on the panel. <laughs> And then we bring you in as the highest level of expertise. And then we're going to go through, yeah. through the history. I, so so I just got to say, like, hearing you say that you 
huge fan of the game. Like it always just warms my heart. Like, you know, we as de developers, we like work so hard to try to make the game the best it possibly can be. So much of our day is just like meticulously crafting all of the different moments mm. that you sometimes lose sight of it, you know? And yeah. uh, to hear you say that, like, even though it's a game I haven't worked on in like uh, over four years at this point, it's just like, damn, that's, that, that's awesome. That's why we do it, you know? Oh, nice, man. So I'm assuming you came in in the very early stages as well, then, if you haven't worked on it for four years. Uh, yeah, I came in. Um, so I started working on it actually seven years ago. So uh, <laughs> actually, now I remember how it started. Um, there was a time when Wings of Liberty, so the first StarCraft II game came out. Uh, we had actually finished uh, a while ahead. So while we were waiting, like Goldmaster, we were waiting for like Battle.net to get all of its services set up. You know, we thought, hey, man, it'd be really cool if like the level designers actually sat down and created a bunch of mods to showcase the power of the StarCraft II editor tools and to help the community actually build some like cool stuff. Uh, so... We got into a room and we started talking about all of these different like mods that we would make. And um, one of my uh, fellow uh, level designers, uh, Matt Gocher, he actually created a mod that back then we called Blizzard Dota. And then mm -hmm. I went to go on to make uh, Left to Die, which is a play on Left for Dead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Jason Huck went on to make uh, Iron Chef, and Mung Song made uh, Star Jeweled. So we were all like, you know, uh, just kind of making our own thing. And then um, we prepared for BlizzCon and then we actually presented these mods uh, at the panel. Mm -hmm. um, the reception that we got for Blizzard Dota was so overwhelmingly positive that we actually started to create a team out of the folks that were originally working on the project. And oh, at the time, like I was playing so much League of Legends and Heroes of New Earth that like I was like the resident expert for back then they weren't even called MOBAs. Oh, uh, and so <laughs> you know, that's yeah, I know, right? And so uh, I think like the project like kind of officially, unofficially started in like uh, 2011, uh, <laughs> somewhere in that time. That's awesome, man. So, can for for newbies that have heard the game, right? From my perspective, can you kind of? <laughs> it's not exactly MOBA. Can you kind of explain the the actual gameplay? For uh, so the gameplay is you choose one of your favorite uh, heroes or villains from uh, Blizzard's past twenty five years. It's been a couple of years since I've given this exact presentation. Um, choose your favorite hero, and then you get to go in. Uh, 5v5 team combat against enemy players. Um, as you go, you level up, you power up, you get to choose like really powerful talents that define your play style, that let you customize your abilities. Um, and every hero falls into a certain role, whether it's uh, damage, it's tank, it's uh, support or specialists that all have very different sort of abilities that uh, sort of reimagine all of the characters' fantasies in MOBA combat. Now, MOBA stands for a multiplayer online battle arena. Um, every single uh, fight that you have takes place on a unique battleground with unique objectives. And But the main point of the game is to basically crush your opponent, do it with style, and do it with the powers and the heroes uh, that you've come to know and love. Yeah. And actually, you did hit on something that I say is a separator for why I find myself loving Heroes of the Storm uh, mm -hmm. is the objective-based battlegrounds, right? <laughs> yeah, Instead yeah. of it just being, hey, here's our three-lane map with some new art, it's here's yeah. this map that has a specific way that you can kind of, you know, get some extra leverage on your opponents if you do this objective or yeah. when you do the objective or when you get your camps or, 
you know, mm -hmm. how you utilize your team strategy in that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. Now we haven't. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because that was actually one of the things that when you're thinking about building a new game from scratch, you always think about, like, what are some things that are going to make it stand out compared to mm -hmm. games that are out there? And at the time, because we had just come off of working on StarCraft II, you know, we had this really powerful map editor. We also had a lot of design knowledge about how to create maps that had similar objectives. You still have the 5v5 like domination uh, main objective, but then you also have these sub-objectives, whether it's collect all of uh, the coins on the map or capture three of the, um, I forget exactly what they're called, but Raven's Court Curse um, to even like some of the later ones like uh, uh, Hanamura has like the payload objective. Mm -hmm. um, so like because we had a really sophisticated uh, level design tool and we had knowledge on how to create maps that still kept the spirit of the game from map to map, we felt that it was a good feature to like really like uh, create a unique product identity. Yeah, and so again, just for for Brandon and new users' sake. Oh uh, shoot! Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I just wanted to add this extra thing. Hello. You know, yeah. so <laughs> you have this five on five team comp battle, mm -hmm. but also you're on this battlefield that has objectives. But the overall goal for your team is to you know progress through like stages of defenses where you take down towers, mm -hmm. then you take down keeps, and then once towers and keeps are gone, you know the core basically is relatively defenseless other than it itself attacking and then you can kill the core and you win the game mm -hmm. uh another brilliant thing to the design well just move in general is the fact that you know you kind of have these creep waves that just spawn autonomously and go towards the core so even if all 10 players did nothing you have these free enemy units that just walk into the middle of their lane and start battling each other and so those also create opportunities where if you're really good at clearing a lane, then it's you plus all of your creep attacking towers, you know? So there's, it's, it's such a dynamic kind of evolving game where your strategy always on the fly, you have to evolve. You have to think of something new to do. You have to think of a way to, you know, counter push. You have to think of a way to gank. You have to think of a way to, you know, uh, just take over the objective. Even if you think you're going to lose it, like it's, there's so many things that I worry about when I try to play very high level that it's just like my brain is always just firing on all cylinders. I just love the experience. Yeah, to sort of jump onto that point, Larry, a lot of like what may makes MOBAs work, like, you know, people always just want to beat the crap out of each other, right? Yeah. But then you're on a big battlefield, so the question is, why would I go from one point to another point and so on and so forth? Mm -hmm. The automated spawning of creeps um, will always uh, walk across the lane and they'll actually fight um like where they meet in battle so you can actually see on the strategic mini map like who actually controls what lane how far are they pushed maybe this lane is really deep in the enemy territory maybe they're actually pushing you really far in the middle um when you destroy enemies whether it's the creeps or enemy heroes you gain experience and you actually grow more powerful and one of the things that really drives a lot of the action in heroes of the storm is the concept of team levels so Wherever you are, you will gain experience for your team based on of what you do. So you actually want to you're actually encouraged to buy the spread out and always be around when creeps are destroyed in order to gain experience for your team so that everybody levels up. And uh, there's a lot of like push and pull around the various strategies of, oh, do we all uh, do we send everybody to go take this strategic objective or is it better to actually push this lane? Or is it better to stay spread out and gain as much experience as possible? So lots of like on-the-fly strategic decisions that you make. 
So I'm very interested in the the business perspective of this because obviously, you know, there's a lot of MOBA. Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested in how the before, the during, and after impact of <coughs> the storm, and mm-hmm. how you guys were able to carve a slice. Uh, of the oh, Dota the like, oh, the Dota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, like, uh, in hindsight, it's tough when you – so you look at, like, uh, genres that are really big. You look at, like, say, what's hot right now, like Battle Royale. Mm -hmm. And then, you you know, you you, a lot of other companies think, yeah, man, we can totally, like – um, if we if we just take a little bite of that pie, you know, we're going to make a lot of money and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So – one of the things that um, I w- at the time when I was working on Heroes of Storm wasn't like a junior executive or anything like that, and mm-hmm. you know I was just more than excited to actually like be working on the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, a lot of the motivation behind Heroes of the Storm was like we actually always wanted to have a game where it was an accessible version of that game. Like we we thought that oh, League of Legends is hard to play, Dota is hard to play. Uh, so if we actually made a MOBA that was like really great for all fans who are like new to the genre and they were blizzard fans in general too like that's actually like you know a really really important draw to building the game in the first place then you think about how you have a team that's really excited about the genre and you think about how we have the starcraft editor and we could the starcraft 2 editor and we could build all sorts of content we can actually prototype our own levels justin clinch who is actually the original tech designer who worked on it actually prototyped in the editor a fake version of Battle.net to simulate playing the game on the out of game. So when you think about like how it's actually the cost of actually building the game and the uh, the tech is already there and the, mm. the possibility, like the excitement of bringing all of Blizzard's like IPs together. Uh, and then like, you know, we'll always be a little bit behind in terms of like releasing before League of Legends and Dota 2. But it's like, no, you know, this is the kind of game that like kind of needs to be made. Um, Blizzard doesn't um, make decisions based off of like the, the the market as much as it looks at like, hey, this is a game that we like really really believe in, um, and we really believe in our ability to execute. If you build it, they will come. It's a very like uh, it, it drives a lot of Blizzard's like high level decision making, um, and it it's worked out thus far. Yeah, and what's interesting is you say accessibility and you say like the the fantasy that and players recognize these characters. I think all of those were like great leg up starting points for why Heroes of the Storm becomes successful and maintains like a significant marketplace for its game or market share for its game. Yeah. When I see other MOBAs that just come out of nowhere, all the heroes are new, you know, there's no previous experience or relationship and accessibility isn't usually where they start. Most companies have been like, we want to take a slice out of League or a slice out of Dota. Right. But we also right. think that the fans are expecting replication first and then the ingenuity. You know what I mean? Yes. So like yeah. make make it play like make it play like League or Dota, and then we're gonna add our twist through the hero design. Mm. And I, I I didn't like that approach at all because like you said, I'd actually like to introduce how I came to play the game. All my friends were leaving WoW and mm-hmm. playing League of Legends. And my friends were, we're just combat. We go into battlegrounds or arenas and we just fought people. So right. obviously like the hook was ready. Like I was ready to be hooked on a MOBA. Uh, they had already left and played League of Legends and I was late. I still was playing WoW, enjoying my Rogue. 
And right. I said, well, what are you guys playing? Why, how come I'm by myself now? And so they tell me about league. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. So tell me about it. They explained, yeah. And you know, you have these heroes, they have these abilities, they're set. The battle is new every time you start from level one. I was like, all right, that sounds great. Cool. So like, I wanted to play. They're like, oh, but make sure that you know how the items stack and like what items you need to buy per character. And I was like, wait, so this persists? Like there's a persistent progression system I need to worry about as a day one player that's going to put me at a disadvantage against playing against other people. I was like, well, that kind of sucks. And so my one friend was like, well, you should try Heroes of the Storm to learn how to play MOBA like fairly and like on equal competition and then come to League. And he messed up because I just never left Heroes of the Storm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was actually worked. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I do think that um, in hindsight, Yes, I think that Heroes of the Storm, ultimately, um, we were going, uh, we spent a lot of our time on uh, affordance. So, like, um, a lot of the heroes' fantasies are ingrained with, like, uh, the silhouette, their function, all a lot of that was already sort of predetermined by um, the, the a lot, basically, the design before it. So, like, you look at a character like Tyrael, he's got wings, he's got a big-ass sword, you kind of know, okay, he's really strong, he's going to heal you. There's not a lot, there's is a really strong base to work with. And mm-hmm. a lot of like um, what we were always aiming to uh, hit when making Heroes of the Storm was the idea that this is kind of like the Smash Brothers melee of MOBA. So it's like mm-hmm. a really fast paced game. You, the, 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 you could play like a couple games during lunch. Like we were really trying to aim for like shorter, like yeah. overall game times. Like you can just sort of pick up and play. You don't have to worry about ability leveling. You start with your QWE. Um, a lot of like the mastery was spread across understanding like the various battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight started like right in the very, very beginning. Um, so you could see like there was a lot of conscious decision to <coughs> make the game just generally more uh, accessible. But I do think that like one of the things that we could have done a better job was to like allow for more individual skill to sort of be reflected in the game, which I do think is actually something that uh, the heroes, the heroes of the storm team, like did a very good job of correcting since um, since I left uh, in creating talents that reward uh, individual play style and skill. Yeah. yeah, I actually so the character I play, I think my lead main is level one hundred and eighty three. Oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah. She's my favorite Can you character put that in the in perspective? game. What does that mean? Uh, okay, Sounds so really hot. it is. It is. I would say uh, most people that I come across, their highest level characters are usually like sixty, and that's somebody who's like really put in time. But the game itself is kind of designed where you should want to play like many characters, especially if you play ranked, because you can disable other people from picking characters you think would be good on that battlefield. Like if someone disabled my Li Ming or banned her. I'm like, shit, like I'm really good with that character and now I can't use it. So you have to have like backup plans. I see. Yeah. Um, but all that I was getting to is her play style is because, you know, when I score a kill or when anybody dies, all my yeah. cooldowns reset. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, like it's really easy for her to help your team steamroll in a team fight, you know, because yeah. as soon yeah. as someone dies, all your abilities are back. You kill someone else, all your abilities are back. You kill someone else, all your abilities are back. And they only have five people. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. It's oh god, whoever yeah. made Li Ming, like I'm like so I can most... I can yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I can tell you who made Li Ming, uh, uh and his so um his name is Ken Eric Hackman. Uh I don't think he's on Heroes of the Storm anymore, but he oh. took over uh as one of the lead designers after I had left. Uh and he was like he and I actually worked on a lot of like the first thirty heroes or so. Um like uh it was a very it was a very tight knit uh group of designers making the game, but um 
every hero designer I have found in working on MOBAs have like a specialty about them. Some people like to build support. Some people like to build tanks. Some people like to build uh, specialists. Uh, in Ken's case, he always liked to play like really, really high skill caps or heroes that are very twitchy. His, mm-hmm. I think one of his earliest heroes was actually Illidan, mm-hmm. um, who has a lot of resets, like uh, you know, recastable abilities mm-hmm. and like really, really twitchy sort of gameplay. Um, and Lei Ming was actually also made by uh, Ken as well. Um, the idea of like resetting your abilities, like basically like having a reset like that gives you the opportunity to hit that dream of kill a person, reset, kill a person, reset, kill a person, reset, and do it for like four times in a row yep. and get that and get that really, really high high. So I think yeah. like uh, that, that's what I mean by like there's a lot of ways when you have like mastery over the system that you can actually like build these kind of really solid moments. And I think Lei Ming is like one of the best characters that we have. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we, they. <laughs> yeah, sure. When I first started playing her, I swore to everyone that she was the most broken character I've ever played in my life for any type of game. Because I was like, I'm ranged and I'm powerful. And, you know, I have like pretty cool abilities that help me get away or get out of trouble. Like I can teleport or I get a shield sometimes when I teleport, depending on what level. And man, let me tell you, I was just staying on the outskirts, just making people disappear, you know. So <laughs> please, if you talk to him or take him out to lunch sometime, please tell him that a very big fan appreciates his work because that's of a, course, it's of been course. fun. Yeah, yeah. Been fun. you know who knows? Maybe he's actually going to listen to this podcast and then he'll oh, be like, yeah. "Oh my god, I made that! That's so cool!" You know. So we'll see. <laughs> well, it's it's life changing. It's life changing. Yeah. <laughs> so the so give would, us. Oh, go ahead. Larry. I was just going to say, I would like to kind of address for listeners, like, you know, again, talking to people who may be unfamiliar with MOBA, which is hard to imagine, but I'm just going to assume because Brandon exists, there have to be more, right? Uh, I love the idea of the evolving strategy that I feel in MOBA. And I, I kind of hinted at this earlier where you have five people, but over the five people, you have specific roles, right? Like you have somebody who is supposed to provide sustainability for your team, like in the heel of support. Uh, you have someone who's basically supposed to just go and damage the other team. And even damage starts to break down in, well, I can do AOE damage, I can do you know sustainable damage, I can do auto-target damage, or I can break into the enemy backline and do like quite a bit of damage to very specific targets. You have all these different tools at your disposal. And as soon as one character dies, right, your strategy changes. As soon as another character dies, your strategy changes. Like you have to be thinking about advantages, disadvantages, where you enter, where you exit, what you what your exit plan should be in the event that things go wrong. Like you have all these these like threads of strategy that have to run in your brain simultaneously while executing them and being aware of the new input that you're given from the other team's counter push or the other team's uh, reaction to your you know your attacks. And God, it's like. I, it's hard to say, but like it's very easy for people to get into a flow of the game, especially once they understand yeah. everything enough so that they're not actively thinking about, okay, I should stand here, or I should do this. It's just like kind of reaction based. Mm-hmm. When you can get into the flow and fight in MOBAs, like I can tell you, there's probably no greater feeling that I've experienced <laughs> in gaming thus far. Win or lose, like just being in that yeah. flow of knowing, like, okay, this teammate has a cooldown where if she lands this, I know I'm going to hit this. You know, yes. like if, if Chromie lands her ult where she's going to teleport right. an enemy back to this spot, I know when to time my ability so that they land on that spot right at the exact moment. Like, oh, my God, it's it's exhilarating. And I, I just mm-hmm. I just love it, man. I, I can't get enough. 
Yeah, there's a there's a couple things that we did in Heroes to sort of like facilitate that happening. Like overall, we slowed the pace of the combat down. If you're familiar with like Dota 2 and League, like you can like actually build your characters, your damage characters, like to basically vaporize the opponent really fast. Um, yeah. A good analog would be like if you're playing Overwatch and like mm-hmm. say that you're playing um, one of the support classes and like an enemy Genji or Tracer comes into your backline and kills you. Um, because here's the storm, like healing is very powerful and overall damage is slightly lower. It allows for, it sort of creates a lot more teamwork opportunities where you can kind of sort of like predict when, oh, this guy is going to land a big stun. Therefore, I'm going to get into position to shoot this ability, follow up, and then react based off of like whatever happens. And I think like that's actually part of like what makes the teamwork uh, in, uh, MOBAs work in general. Um, and a lot of it, I think, actually comes from MOBAs actually were born in the RTS engine. And when you think about, like, you know, you have like Zerglings, Zealots, your Marines, and then you think about tier two units, you got either Firebats or you've got like Hellions, you got Hellbats, depending on which StarCraft you're talking about. Um, they all have very specific roles and they're all balanced using a lot of the same tools that you see in MOBAs. And then mm. the way that those units play with just those simple changes in like their health. HP damage and damage range really does create a lot of different play patterns. And then you want to accentuate that by having like really cool abilities that really embody sort of the fantasy of the character that you're playing, but also have a really good like, you know, um, synergy with your team that have very unique mechanics. So they stand out across other characters along the same class. And I think like when you talk about like getting into the zone, like that's actually, I feel like the pinnacle of like when you start to really like master a game, um, we talked about that in StarCraft 2 when you have like this Zen sense where you're like playing this multiplayer game and you're like microing all of your units and you're also mm. macroing, queuing up all the units you need, building an expansion, scouting your opponent, reacting intuitively to that. Like there's a lot of parallel sort of learning into playing a strategy game. Uh, and once you and the more knowledge that you get, every little piece of knowledge and skill that you master actually like helps you perform in every almost every other like uh yeah. <laughs> like really really well so there's a lot of there's a lot of, that's a lot of the depth of the game that i think is um like really addictive to mobas as another like reason why people come back because your friends want to play with you and like uh there's there's no better like feeling than playing games with your friends oh yeah oh yeah well speaking on kind of like the tug of war on, on strategy while you're playing the game when you guys were de- developing, obviously you had the the conscious effort to kind of introduce people to MOBA, especially with this type of game. Like, what was the uh, the back and forth, the discipline to balance that and the con- um, conscious decisions to to kind of keep it, you know, uh, the game time lower rate, right? Making sure that people understand and and can jump into it versus, you know, obviously there's a lot of MOBA players on at blizzard right really wanted to make it very deep and and yeah so 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 early on i think so this is not really for heroes of the storm this is kind of just more like you know product development strategy which Mm. i gained a lot of experience like post blizzard but upon reflection of my time on heroes of the storm i'm like oh yeah we actually did draw a lot of like lines in the sand very early uh and i think like um when you're going into any new market, uh, and and again, I'm not a spokesperson for Blizzard at this point. I'm just like thinking about um, like decisions we that were. were at the time. I was at the time, yes, but I actually never 
thought about a lot of like sort of mm-hmm. the high level like uh, product market strategy. Um, when you think about like how like League of Legends and Dota 2 are already out and you think about like, okay, so what do we actually want to build this game around in order to make it feel different? Like, let's build it with a stronger sense of teamwork. Let's build it <coughs> with like there being multiple maps. Let's build it where like you can get in and out of the action really, really quickly, which is part of the whole idea of like the games being fast. Let's build it with like a lot more with the Blizzard like lore in mind. Let's not actually like build new characters with new IPs, you know. And when you start to think about like that um, as a as a core group who's making decisions on the team uh, on what the game is going to be, how those decisions are reflected inside like the game design, the art design, the tech design uh, starts to show itself. Mm-hmm. So um, when we talk about like how do you actually make the game faster, like if you believe that like being able to play a game that's faster and has a tighter sort of like time window to play. Uh, is actually a good thing to have, um, then you'll make a lot of game design decisions around it. As a side note, um, when I was uh, working at uh, Riot Games on League of Legends as a a lead designer on the gameplay systems team, one of the first things that we were asked to do was to shorten the game time. So, (laughs) (laughs) so like, we were, uh, I guess I kind of want to say, like, oh, yeah, we were kind of smart back then at Blizzard. Um, So, like, uh, because, you know, people people just want a more intense gaming experience, and that's really ultimately what we were doing with it. But let's say that, okay, we want to make the game times faster. How do we do it? Well, that's one of the reasons why we built the mounts. The mounts actually gain speed over the course of the game, and the maps are actually relatively smaller. So if you have any sort of advantage over your opponent, you can actually follow up with it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the same, and the same sort of thing applies to, okay, we have strategic objectives that are worth fighting for because if you get the power from you know, obtaining that strategic objective, you can use it to overcome your enemy very fast. Um, so like there's a... There's a I think that sort of answers your question, but I, I've also kind of like wandered off into the weeds. So I'm just going to sure. stare back at both of you and just <laughs> well, wait, wait for my next prompt. <laughs> sure, I can, I can offer a little bit as well. I think that one of the advantages I would say for when Heroes of the Storm enters the market is you have predecessors, but you also have a company with, you know, quality design, lineage, heritage, and uh, prestige uh, is the word I guess I was looking for. And... You know that you guys can make great games. You have a company full of developers who can make great games, but you also have two very prominent, very good, you know, competitors to evaluate before entering the market and really figure out where you want the game to be situated. And I think what's very interesting is you all, like you going to Riot and then Riot being like, yeah, we want to have shorter match times as well. Like there's like you, you anticipated. That's, just, that's more of a coincidence. I, I, did, oh, I had no influence over that. I, I did. I was part of the team that was analyzing like how to actually do it. And in general, like, like having a game that has less low lulls is probably a better game anyway to watch and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even so, I guess where I was yeah. going with that is not necessarily that you took that to riot, but more so that, that shift, right? Like Blizzard, Heroes of the Storm already was a shorter game experience. And then you going to ride and then them reacting to Heroes being in existence and saying like, hey, we too may want to, uh, you know what I mean? Tighten it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, definitely. Hey guys, let's take a break and let's hear from our sponsor. 
What, 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 what's this you're applying for? Is this the you know the indie program for Quixel we were talking about? That's exactly what I'm doing. Oh, okay. The Quixel Indie Program is a new initiative to help indie developers out there. It's going to include the full suite and access to Quixel's tools, including Megascan, Mixer, Bridge. They're going to have full access to partners from Quixel to help you build, fund, and publish your project, and have awesome technical support from Quixel with no upfront cost just for a 2.5% of future revenue once you start making money. This is the mega deal of the century for indie developers out there, dude. Dude, I okay, so I was able to interpret what you said as 2.5% of future revenue after you've made money. So technically, using this opportunity is no expense. Literally everything that you will cost or spend on making your game will get recouped before you start paying for actually using the Quixel license for the indie program. So that right there is probably the biggest, most like thank you moment I've ever had for a company that makes software for indie developers. That is awesome. That's really cool. So if you guys are interested, the link is in the show notes uh, or you can type in Quixel indie program. There will be a blog post about it where there is a link to apply now, right? There is a vetting process. Obviously, a lot of people would be interested in this. They have to pick the best people. If you're a team that you think you have a shot and benefit from using the Quixel suite, I say go apply. Check it out. All right. Well, one thing I can say, though, is in the event that let's say you just want to learn the tools and you know want to know why this opportunity is so awesome, you can definitely still use the Game Dev Unchained discount code, which is GDU, to get 30% off your first three months of the Quixel suite. You can try Quixel, Megascans, Bridge, open up their entire library of photorealistic scans, drop them into your projects and make photorealistic games in an afternoon. You know what I mean? Like fool everybody at your art school. (laughs) This is awesome. So you can do that right now. Go to megascans.se, type in code GDU and you can get your discount. How about something free? Let's listen to a podcast. I definitely agree. Like I feel like a lot of uh, designers, I won't go too off tangent but designers that kind of fall into that pitfall of just what their greatest game desires are right tend to go too crazy and not look at the product uh, marketability and the and the rules set basically and i feel like most games that are successful has a set of rules that they follow and and, and boxed in because i feel like most creators are more creative when they have those boundaries more mm-hmm. so than just create whatever game you want we have the resources yeah. just keep throwing money into the pit <laughs> right right now we we really wanted to like do right by the fans who had been playing like a lot of blizzard games and honestly like one of the best analogies that i ever like had in talking to dustin browder who was a uh, design director on the project uh he said like look you have all of like these really cool action figures and memories that you've accumulated all through these years and you know you have your diablo action figures and they play a certain way and you have your warcraft action figures and so on and so forth wouldn't it be cool if you could actually cross them over and then you have like a battleground where they can actually fight and then the actual combat was long enough so it wasn't like who would actually win if you had starcraft's kerrigan versus like diablo's diablo Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, it all depends on the situation. It depends on if Diablo was surprised. It was depends on if Kerrigan had buddies with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's ultimately that 
that fantasy is what drove a lot of like the decisions we make in order so that we could execute at the really high quality level that does right by fans. Because honestly, if we have, if we're excited, like this goes not just at Blizzard, but really anywhere. If you have, if you're having fun building your game, players will have fun building your game for sure. All right. <laughs> Can we uh, maybe address one of the things that uh, I think every MOBA has to deal with? Mm-hmm. And Blizzard is unfortunately also dealing with it as well. This the toxicity in the community of players. Who, right. And I don't even want to say that it's MOBA specifically. Like I, you know, I play Call of Duty. I've been calling <laughs> all the bad words. You know. Yeah. Right. I right. play any online game where people can actually communicate directly with each other. You'll get yeah. called all the bad words. Yeah. But yeah. There's definitely a lot of toxicity in the MOBA community as well. I think Brandon, the last podcast we were talking about MOBA, he said when he was trying to learn how to play. People recognized that he was so low and just mm-hmm. kicked him before he even had a chance to shine. Yeah. Right. You know? I couldn't even enjoy low. That's why I'm here with you guys. <laughs> offering, <laughs> offering this perspective. I want to play. But Heroes, to me, out of all the MOBAs, has been the most attractive because of the uh, decision to make it the, the entry. Yeah. So uh, I, I definitely am interested. I mean, I used to play Command & Conquer. I, I love those RTS games, and MOBA to me is like the next evolution of, of those type of games. So I do enjoy those type of strategy games. Yeah, but so if we're talking so, about the big three. Yeah, the, yeah, so. like um, so I think like uh, having worked at both Blizzard and Riot, and having looked at how Blizzard has evolved its games uh, with sort of like uh, social interaction in mind, um, I think like. We were conscious of it in Heroes of the Storm, and there were actually great debates we had on the team on whether or not your ability to communicate with your team was like a feature that you unlocked after a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found, yes, but what we found is that um, it's actually not the players that are early in their gaming that are toxic. It's actually mm-hmm. the ones and, and that the have those. That, right, right. So, so it's kind of good that we didn't go through with that. But like, you can kind of see where it's like we have a theory. Oh shoot, that's that. That doesn't work. We're not going to do that. Right. Um, another, like um, one of the things that we helped that was going to mitigate it was like lower uh, game times. But the the truth was like even if it was like a League of Legends, the average game time is like maybe 30, 40 minutes. Like, I'm, I, I think that's mm. the case. With Heroes of the Storm, it's somewhere between 20, 25, I want to say. Mm. But, like, you're still, you're, you're still engaged with the game for that amount of time, whether it's yeah. 30 or 20 minutes. Uh, and you're playing with four other players. So, mm. you know, we did the best that we could to try to mitigate it, like, um, by saying, like, encouraging teamwork, like, Meaning, if you play with the other players, we made it very obvious that you were getting a bonus for like um, playing with friends. Uh, we had the LFG system so that you can very quickly join a team, and that sort of builds momentum towards like having a, a social bond that doesn't immediately start with toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of like uh, things that we did in order to uh, make it a lot simpler. Like we straight up copied the League of Legends like ping system so that like um, we could actually like players could actually communicate with other players very quickly. Uh, and it was very familiar to mobile players. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and then, then, um, you know, later on, like, uh, as here, as like, like say Hearthstone came out, uh, not Hearthstone, sorry. as overwatch came out, like Mm. having like the ability to report players really easily and squelch them and, and like actually, you know, try, try to like, um, like create sort of like a repercussions for their bad behavior. Um, these are also features that are supported in Heroes of the Storm as well. Yeah. Um, 
I think at the end of the day, what I found, um, and it's kind of silly when I say this, like as a competitive player, I will always try to look for an edge to beat my opponent, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you do. As a toxic player, if I'm a troll, I'm going to find a way to troll you. So say that I completely block your ability to call somebody bad (laughs) names and stuff like that. I could just sit in the, I could just sit in base and not do anything. Or I can go and feed or I can do, you know, like there's only so many things you can like do to like sort of prevent the behavior. So our strategy was actually to limit it as much as we could, but then also try to promote positive behavior um and of course like riot actually has like this complete machine learning automated banning sort of system that like those guys like honestly is quite world-class in my opinion um you know blizzard like like heroes we never had like the same resources to do that kind of thing but i definitely think that um like uh it's something that all like competitive games sort of have and um it's the type of player that's you sort of attract like you know all that being said, I, I think like playing any FPS like Call of Duty is like far, far, far worse. <laughs> yeah, and in HOTS, like I, I don't use voice chat as much, but I still type. You know, you at least you can see like the unfiltered version or the filtered version. You know, right. you can actually toggle that. But I think where I come from on the toxicity is I too also get toxic. And from the perspective of a professional game developer, but someone who is not actually working on this product, what I can say is when you get to a certain point in the game where you think like you're legit, like you're good at the game, you care about winning, you want your teammates to like do the right things. When you obviously see that they're not doing the right thing, (laughs) it like it burns. (laughs) Larry's the type that would totally kick me if I'm level one coming. That's what happens. You're level one. But I, and I knew that you were level one. I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do, right? Or whoever it seemed like they were calling the shots. Yeah. yeah. If we're like, this is the best strategy for right now, and four of us went and did that, and Brandon was like, I don't know, I'm gonna yeah, yeah. do anything <laughs> other than what everyone else decided. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's when no, starts to brew. You know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Tell me what to yeah. do. And yeah. I, and I think like what you just described, uh, Larry, is that. Um, part of the reason, part of the motivation behind making Heroes of the Storm was to try to make it less toxic by making it more accessible and more about the fun. But then, like, because we had still decided that it was a 5v5 game and you had very specific roles and then you had, like, battleground objectives, we, like, sanded away a lot of, like, the complexities. Like, you know, there's no last hit in the game. There's no individual uh, leveling. But you now need to know that you really need to push the lane and attack the tower to get that chip damage in, or you need to spread and soak. And these are things in a lot of ways are actually kind of, they're actually harder to learn in some cases because they're not as immediately tied to uh, feedback that you're getting as an individual. Um, So that's why like um, when you think of a game, like say Overwatch, where like, even if, like, say all three of us kill an enemy, we all get an elimination, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, a, just a positive feel-good sort of thing. Uh, even if, ultimately, like, you, if, Larry, you did, like, 99% of the damage and Brendan and I just sort of, like, tickled the opponent, we still all get an elimination, right? Yeah. And it's that conscious decision, I think, like, for instance, that the Overwatch team made that, like, oh... Um, we're all working together. We all get credit. We participated. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's actually one of the key decisions that we made in Heroes of the Storm, where your first, um, well, I know you can now look at kills now, mm. but yeah. back then it was, it was, uh, it was like 
I think it was called takedowns. I, I'm not 100% sure. Still, was, yeah. still called takedowns? Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, and it's little things like that that you decide. Uh, and, and that's actually, a, like, those kind of details are the kinds of details that you debate about, like, as a team, like, greatly, you know. And, and, and that's actually where, like, most people who aren't in the game industry, they always wonder, like, you know, where, where exactly do most of your time get spent? It's actually on those like kind of critical decisions uh, where the philosophy for the game and the style at which you're making it is set. So yeah. take takedowns versus KDA, <laughs> huge debate. So, <laughs> so I have a part question real quick. So uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, speaking on debates, right? So uh, first of all, the game was a uh, the inception was around. 2011 and when was the public release date for heroes oh uh, i, I want to say it was like 2014 was like the open data let me look this up i'm actually because <laughs> I, 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 I think it was, it was either q3 or q4 of 2014 but okay. i'm not i'm not 100 sure somewhere around 2014 so around three years right so yeah. during those three years and this is a two-part question you can answer however you like uh-huh what, what kind of pivots do you guys make uh, just based on internal testing? And then finally on release, what kind of pivots did you Oh, make? okay. So the major pivots were um, around individual versus team levels. That was a huge one. Uh, whether or not you were getting individual like experience and levels uh, and, and how disparate like a, a low-skilled player was versus a high-skilled player. So like, you know, if you two actually played like League of Legends, uh, like – you know, Brandon, you probably feed all game uh, before the game's over. Whereas, yeah. like, Larry and I would be max level uh, in about that time. You know, so, like, is the feel good for us worth the bad feelings for you? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so that was a big one. Uh, the other big one was, um, actually, it was how many lanes do each of the uh, maps have? Like, what's the style of the battlegrounds? Like, Like, what is the optimal number of battlegrounds to have at launch and like how many of them like should you actually have and so on and so forth uh that was another big one um one of the ones that like i was uh actually um doing a lot of work on was what is our item shop do we have an item shop do you earn gold um are you buying individual items are there recipes where you combine like you know two swords and now you get a bigger sword um, or do you have like individual talent level uh, and talents? Um, and can you like level those up, level up your talents on the fly, or do you have to go back to the base to order to sort of like um, like uh, to spend your gold and get more powerful? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big one that actually might go a little unnoticed is the idea that um, unlike uh, other mobas where you have like uh, towers in the middle of the lanes, we actually created like entire forts so you have like you know your one-way gate with like the walls and then you have like your town behind it um and you have the healing fountains that you can fall back to so there's a lot more like uh the actual fantasy of sieging the enemy base was more realized and there were like um, more degrees to sort of success when you're pushing into the enemy team and but you still had that protection um that sort of that area control that i think really defines uh moba gameplay um let's see we also like spent a lot of time deciding like how crazy and how far should our heroes go so one of the things that actually really pushed the idea of team levels was when we were um 
there was actually a hero in the original, like the first year of Heroes of the Storm, called Abathur, who like literally had no combat powers whatsoever. But he, all of his kit was revolved around casting buffs on allies and being able to like shoot spells based off their position. He would, you know, he's like this really limpy sort of like a Zerg creature um, who goes into like a, a cocoon state, and then he puts a little um, like a abathur hat on your head and then from the abathur hat like so you cast it on like larry like larry's actually out pushing and the abathur hat can actually cast spells or give like larry a shield and then you know when abathur decides okay it's time to go away he can actually go onto another side of the map and actually give you uh give some other somebody else like powers as well too um so that really pushed the idea of like having heroes that were really wacky and strange um later on uh that same person kent yeah, I think Kent did this, but really apologize, apologize, guys, if I get this wrong. Um, I think he was the one who uh, uh, led the design of Cho Gall, who's actually one hero who's <laughs> controlled by two players. Yeah. Cho Gall is a two-headed ogre, and uh, each player plays one head, you know, but only one person controls the movement. Yeah. So it's kind of like this funny sort of like uh, like hero. Um, yeah, I, I designed uh, Lost Vikings with uh, John Hodgson, who is a, a lead technical designer. And like lead, Lost Vikings are exactly what you expect them to be. They're three Vikings that you control all at once. It's very much like their cobalt geomancer in Dota 2. And so they they could push and soak their all three lanes simultaneously. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a lot of like like um, like those kind of like decisions about uh, about here's a storm i was very focused on the gameplay design at the mm-hmm. time um, but, but there were certainly a lot of questions around like how do we update our monetization so that we have like um you know we have different types of things that players can uh, purchase and collect like mm-hmm. you know what should the price points be you know how much do you actually get out of every purchase right. uh, what does the uh, metagame sort of feel like you know if you have per hero levels and an account level what does that mean? It makes more it, like that's definitely like a, uh, a like a an innovation that we were trying. Well, I don't know if that's innovation, but that was an iteration on like your account progression that we spent a lot of time uh, trying to get right. All right. Yeah. So, I, go ahead, Lee. Uh, sure, I'll say as a person who's like still in the cycles and experiencing the game now. Yeah, I love the idea of like I have tons of skins, mounts, you know, banners, sprays, all these things that personalize how I feel like I want to be represented inside of the experience, but there is no like actual stat change or any sort of like, I have statistical advantage or gameplay advantage over yes. another person who does not have any of these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I respect that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that, that, that was definitely a conscious decision. We made that a long time ago. We, we, um, at the time there was definitely like this sense that, well, the number of players who are max level in League of Legends just grows with every day. Uh, so, so it's actually um, it was very useful when League of Legends went out, and this is knowledge from League of Legends, not at Blizzard. Mm. Um, it was very useful um, for people to sort of like uh, have like a stickier experience to have features that like you know uh, grew a lot of. Um, um, what's the right word? What's the right buzzword? It's like. You feel better about playing the game because you're like more personally invested in it, uh, and that was like a like a relatively new concept back then. Uh, and but but for here's the storm, it's like no no, 
we don't want to have players feel like they need to grind in the game in order to unlock like power or features. Yeah. Let's try to, you know, mellow that out as much as possible. Um, I don't know if you played in the very early versions of the game. Larry, he used to but, have the mastery talent, right? Yeah, he used to have yeah, the mastery exactly. talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so gone now. That's yeah. gone now. Yeah, exactly. So like that was kind of a nod to like um, the idea that your account progression like actually mattered. Um, but, you know, over time, like that's become less of a differentiator. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a fun question. Let's go around the table uh, sure. specifically. Uh, to get to the level 189, uh, how much have you spent so far? <laughs> it's, you know, it's cool. So I think officially, if I, I'm not at my account right now. I'm on my phone, so sorry, audience. I can't give you the exact number. I know I've broken 180. I believe she's level 183 currently. 183. Oh my God. I would say I've probably played 3,200-something complete games. Oh uh, and I only play assassins. Like I looked at my, it's it's so embarrassing. I looked at my like my progression chart, and it's like assassin games like three thousand, <laughs> you know, support like forty tank. It's like I, I started initially trying to figure out what I liked about the game, and mm-hmm. my wow carryover was I just like being in people's space causing them damage and making them fall on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I want to do nothing other than that. Uh, so basically I looked at my progression for my account, 3000 games, probably like just assassins, you know, uh, 40 games of support, maybe 110 games as a, you know, a warrior. And well, actually, no, I played a lot of specialists. Sylvanas. I love Sylvanas as well. So she gets all my specialist games, maybe like 200 specialist games but primarily i just play assassin dude that's so funny because like when we uh when john was actually building sylvanas we were trying to give her a more dps sort of slant to it um because when you think about these heroes a lot of the challenge we have is actually fitting them into a, a certain role because like you know a lot of these like heroes uh and villains are actually like paragons of like their game so you know, they have the ability to support, they have the ability to tank, they have the ability to outwit, the ability to, like, um, sort of lead from the front and uh, like mm. sort of soak in damage in, in a way. Uh, and Sylvanas was one of those cases where, like, you know, it's actually funny because we actually tried, like, full mind control on her and, um, like, her ability to, like, rapidly DPS people with, like, her, uh, I think it's her Q or her W, the one that can charge up, like, arrows and stuff and you just shoot mm. them out at people. Like, Man, we, we, I remember going. Yes, I remember going back and forth on like how powerful that ability should be, and that in mind control. Uh, just good times. Yeah. Well, you made a lot of great choices <laughs> that oh, I'm assuming sorry. have persisted. Because no, it's it's a great game, man. I'm glad we're doing this deep dive. I, so, I I'm embarrassed because like I think like look Blizzard, we we had a lot of really passionate people working on the game, and I look back on the times very fondly of like how it was just like less than ten of us all jamming in the pit playing games. I remember our team had to be told by other teams to like kind of keep it down, you know, <laughs> because we were like rowdy and stuff. And it was like, oh, sorry, we're having fun, you know. Yeah. Um, and and it wasn't it wasn't just me. Like I, I definitely, you know, I can speak about the game, and I have spoken about the game quite a bit. 
uh, back when I was at Blizzard. But no, it was it was a really big group effort. Um, I mean, if we didn't have the tools, we couldn't have built it. If Blizzard didn't have all these awesome like heroes, we couldn't have done it. If we didn't have like you know help from the exec team, we would we couldn't have actually launched the game. You know, if like uh, League and Dota weren't like made uh like uh, more so leak like um you know i, I we might have been inspired to be like okay we, this is a really fun game like so just try to build it you know so mm-hmm. like sometimes you just gotta like strike while the iron's hot and and you have to understand like you know like the, there's a there's a lot of people that have helped to forge that iron and to make it hot and to create the opportunity to build it uh and it was it was a real honor to actually like you know be as involved in the game that i was all right. Well, I can say this: uh, the professional developer hat is going to come back on, and I'll, I'll put the fanboy hat down for a little while. <laughs> sure thing. Uh, <clears throat> I question you this. I know you're not there anymore, and you don't have the same influence. But I'm just still going to hit you with this question after the description. One of the mm-hmm. issues that I think that I've had with playing uh, Heroes of the Storm is the difference of experience between quick match and like ranked play. You know. Mm. Uh, the types of people, the types of care or concern that I feel in my teammates in quick match is usually significantly lower than that of ranked. Uh, I'll fight against specialists who think that for the whole game, they just need to fight towers. Like they don't need to do anything else. And then they brag at the end of the game, like, Oh, Oh, I did so good. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I did most damage. I did most siege damage. Yeah. Like they made the game harder for the other four people, but I hate those people. (laughs) I hate those people. I mean, honestly, I feel that way when I play like, uh, my, um, my body and I play a lot overwatch Mm -hmm. and then I say, Oh, cool. You're, you're, you're Symmetra on offense. (laughs) <laughs> on a capture point map like great i i don't i don't care if she was reworked you're not you're not yeah. going to help buddy like yeah. can you please get out oh god you're you're just toxic okay like let's just like try to wash it away right uh, yeah, just so, sort of forget about it um i guess based on my developer side i i look at quick match and i get it it's yeah. like get people into games as fast as possible right and I think the quality i'm cursed from the start where yeah. I'll look at the other team and I'll be like, that's a pretty good composition. Not even for the map, just in general. That's a good composition. Yeah. I look on my team, I'll see <laughs> Lost Vikings, Murky, yeah. Murky and yeah. like Abathur. Oh. And I'm just like... Yeah. <sighs> Lost Vikings, Murky, Abathur, Solanus, <laughs> and... Uh, exactly. It doesn't matter Lili. who else at that point. Yeah, Lily, because it's it's our first time playing... <laughs> it's that person's first time playing the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lily's really easy to play, and you need to be a support. You know, like yeah, heal that murky who dies instantly, and now you you don't even know what the hell happened. Like, wait, I I was healing him, but he yeah, but he, yeah. he died Sorry. instantly. Like, like what am I supposed to do? Oh, now he's a bubble and he's floating away. Like, wait, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Okay. So obviously, I, my example is yeah. a little bit of a stretch. But no, no, no that's happened. An experience no, that that's happened. Yeah, that just... happens all the time, and I hate it. Yeah. You know. Um. So I think that um. In in some ways, we we actually kind of made it slightly. We've in, we slightly increased the needle in terms of like the potential there to be like a really degenerate game because you have a lot of like these like heroes that require a lot of team support and coordination to function. Uh, so so in a lot of ways, like our zeal for making uh, characters that were weird and strange and required a lot of support, like Abathur or Lost Vikings or a very specialized strategy, because we gave players those tools, um, we actually, uh, we, we kind of set ourselves up to kind of like be 
um, to have it sort of backfire on us. Um, one of I'm actually going to answer one of your questions from back in the day too, uh, from like back in the day, from a couple <laughs> hours ago. But, but <laughs> yesterday, but it was um, there was a feature that we tried where you actually could go back to base and swap your hero. Um, very, very much like how in Overwatch you could swap your hero. And that was actually something that we uh, tried many different variations of. And, you know, we tried a lot of different variations of strategic stuff as well, uh, like capturing a capture point or whatever. Um, but that actually also was something that uh, we were thinking that maybe we could support in the future as well until, like, the technological barriers were like, no, we can't actually support it. But um you can imagine in a world where we weren't a hundred percent sure, like where the line was drawn between like sure. like heroes that were team based and heroes that weren't, like um, how we might have like uh, accidentally like provided too many like weird uh, sort of heroes. Um, I do know from experience that whenever you have like a game where you're like locked into a game like for like X amount of time and people don't have a lot of agency over like changing their hero, like you're sort of like stuck in it and you may or may not have the best experience possible. And I think like, you know, that, that, that's just like part of like what MOBAs are and like part of like what kind of sucks about it. Um, And I do think like having only team levels um, in a game where your teammates are kind of bad like like for people who are relatively more skilled than their teammates and are relatively more skilled than their opponents um if like like the deviations between the skill levels are a lot lower for your teammates you're going to have like objectively a worse time than if you were say playing league of legends and you could at least like be the guy who you know went like 16 and 4 and like did like almost all the kills and like you feel good about yourself at the end of the day because it's reflected in the score and everything. Um, the idea of like like the the quick match like being like not the best place to like having like people having a tough experience with it. We actually found that to be also a problem in League of Legends as well. So so it it kind of has to do I think. Um, not with the game designs themselves. Oh, it is the game design, but it's sort of like, you know, hey, you're playing this 30-minute game. You're locked into a hero that has a very specific role. In order to have that role matter in terms of the team, you can't really deviate too much from, mm-hmm. like, your 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 hero's, like, like base sort of, like, uh, power level and, and their mechanics. Um, so I think, like, there's, there's – uh, that's sort of, like um, – in, in you know hindsight is 2020 but like sure, sure. Uh, that's, that's definitely like um the cause for it for sure i would let me know how you feel about this if i were yeah. to say because you if this ends up getting heard by anyone at blizzard currently working on the game oh that's fine yeah my, I, I, I haven't said anything that anyway sorry hey guys like you guys remember me like I'm, yeah. i i love you all so so it's okay no I, good I just meant like this is my message in the bottle moment. In the event oh, that someone, yeah, on the team what hears you it, not me, not me. <laughs> yeah, I think what I would appreciate as a player is I hate when the game starts and I already feel screwed before the match has started, and that's usually because in quick match I'll pick my character, not necessarily knowing the battleground or the team comp. I could care less about the other team comp, right? But let's say I hit the button, I get my four teammates and we get 30 seconds to just pick who we want to be and are cognizant of who the other people are picking. Right. And we know the battleground. Then we get there and we're like, oh, here's the enemy comp, right? But at least we had the opportunity to pick like a structured comp based on what we wanted and what we saw, you know what I mean? Mm. 
that would right, right. that would make my experience leagues better. <laughs> Pun intended. Mm. Uh, what that's do you actually, think? That I think that's actually a really good idea. Uh, I think that um, it's one of those things where uh, League of Legends has the model of like blind pick, where you know you're just trying to make decisions based off what your team is doing. Uh, I think League of Legends. I'm not sure if Heroes still. Let me see right now because I'm actually in Heroes at the moment. Okay, so yeah, like. One of the one of the big things that League actually changed, I think in like 2016 or 50, actually 2015, was the idea of a group finder. So you can actually queue for a certain uh, role, but not necessarily lock in like what your um, hero. yeah, what your hero or champion is. Uh, same sort of thing in Overwatch where they added uh, looking for a group as well, um, where you can sort of like you know sign up for having a uh, certain role or being a flex pick, or so on and so forth. I feel like those systems work really, really, really well. Um, and yes, like if you're, you know, if Heroes has the bandwidth to actually, you know, put that into the game, it might actually uh, help to increase the quality of the game. But that all said, you know, you and I are designers. We both know that, like, <laughs> it's easier said than done. And yeah, um, as a live service game, like, you have all the metrics and uh, you can, you know, you have, like, um, you have better knowledge over, like, what would actually be good for the health of the game, like, the overall product itself. Um, but, yes, as, as a player, though, I totally agree that that would actually uh, greatly increase the quality of the games. Good. Gets you closer to ranked play in the sense that you have a balanced comp, you have the map, you have the other mm-hmm. team, and you fight. And then ranked introduces like bands and things like that. But mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. Message sent. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll hear it. Well, Rich, I'm looking down at my clock, and it says we've been talking about Heroes of the Storm for over an hour. Oh my and, god, you're right. This yeah, time yeah, really we could have played by. three games, but yeah, yeah, we actually could have played three games. It's true. Well, at least two of you. Yeah, <laughs> well, it definitely would have been three if Brandon was playing. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, man. Um, so at this time, normally Brandon and I go refill our coffee, and you know we chit chat about the latest news. We give uh-huh. you all three microphones, and you can talk directly to our audience to promote, shout out, or raise awareness for something you're excited about, involved in. Or you think just needs more attention. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Oh my god. I've never had this this so much power. I'm actually I'm actually kind of embarrassed. I think like, you know, I do because we're talking about Heroes of the Storm and I don't work on the game anymore, like I wanna give a shout out for all the people that you know worked with back at Blizzard to work on the game and actually like help like bring the game to life. But you know, I've always been a lifelong student of game design, and I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, if you're really passionate about game design, like the best thing that I think that you can do, so it's kind of a shout out to all of you young aspiring designers out there, like find something that you really love to do and express your design philosophy in it, whether it's like narrative, whether it's art, whether it's computer science, you know, like I want I want everybody to feel like, you know, when you're building games, like, you can be yourself and you can actually express yourself and find out who you are. Through game design, I actually was able to learn a lot about myself and really bring a lot of joy and happiness to other people. And, you know, the world's a tough place. And, like, you know, we, uh, there's a lot of like, you always like, it's easier nowadays to hear like that there's bad news and stuff like that. Like, um, 
whether you go on Reddit or CNN or like whatever, and you just see things that like just sort of make you feel down, just know that like it's very important to think about like, you know, making people feel happy. And I know for a lot of people out there that listen to this that haven't actually cracked into the game industry yet, like, you know, I would strongly encourage you to like find your like a uh, happy place and just go for it and like, you know, look for mentors that can help you get into the industry and like, um, you know, be the best that you can be as a creative. So, you know, not your typical sort of shout out, but I just want, you know, people to know that like, you know, if you, if you love what you do, like you can, you can become like a, you know, nail your dream job and make people happy. Man, that's, yeah. that's a good use of all those microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So if you want to contact him directly, his phone number will be in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Give him your phone number, my name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking here at turning off my recording lights on Larry Charles, and I'm saying good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Richard. All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.